Amen, amen. You guys can grab a seat. And um, that certainly, certainly, that song particularly is what you could definitely call a dress rehearsal for heaven. And I think there's something that in the midst of different seasons and time when we just need that and we need to absorb both the um, joy that that gives us and the hope that that gives us. Um, so glad um, you made it a priority to be in a church this weekend, rather uh, sitting in a seat here in the room or joining us online. Um, welcome to this time that we want to spend in God's Word. But before I jump in, um, I just want to remind you guys that this week uh, we're launching something that we have not done before, Christ Church Institute. So excited for the work that's gone in, the people that are going to be teaching. I want to remind you a few things. Um, first off, um, everyone is invited to this. Um, this is not just for people who have uh, been in community groups, but it's for people in community groups that are coming and being a part of this. Also, um, for anybody else, and we believe this is an important part of strengthening our um, commitment to purposeful discipleship. And maybe you think, oh, this class is just for those who are new believers. Um, when in discipleship, which fundamentally is being a learner, do you stop learning? The answer is never this side of heaven. Okay, when we're, when we're partaking of God in his holiness and we will be perfect, then we're done learning, just going to worship. But um, we want to encourage you. There's some key things that we're going to be going after in some of these classes. And uh, some also have asked, hey, you know, I've got something maybe the third week or the second week. Listen, if you can come to two out of four, one, I don't even care. Some of the content that's being worked on, um, I wish I could go to every class. And so thankful for all the uh, teachers that are working hard uh, to prepare for this season. And so I'm um, excited for this move forward for our church. Want you want you to know you can go online and still register. Um, the classes start Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, this week. So Christ Church Institute coming. Um, for this morning, uh, what we're doing is uh, launching what has become sort of our annual uh, Lent season at Christ Church. Um, starting back in 2017, for those of you who've been with our church for a while, uh, know that we um, love to preach a message to sort of launch this season um, leading up to Good Friday and Easter. And so the six weeks before, uh, what we do is we um, uh, cover a topic uh, that I'm going to do this morning um, that, that we really feel like it's not a topic that you just sort of deal with and you're like, oh, I'm done. I got this figured out. Um, but we want to put something in front of our church and we want to purposefully walk in it, kind of stepping out of the craziness of normal life. And, uh, and this six-week period in the past, we focused on topics like solitude and fasting and Sabbath. And this year, uh, we're turning our attention to repentance. And so the passage that we're going to launch into a season of repentance in our church is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So please uh, begin to turn there in your Bibles as I pray for us. God, as we're turning in your word to this uh, passage in Corinthians, I'm reminded of the fact that the church in Corinth was not exemplary in their obedience. Like I'm certain that in our hearts and lives, uh, there are places, God, where the fallenness and brokenness and reality of sin is emerging itself, maybe in some different ways, maybe in one uh, a large way that's interfering with, that's uh, stealing the joy of the gospel from us. And I pray this morning that we would understand clearly from your word that the first move that we need to have towards sin is repentance. 
Thank you for the hope of repentance. Thank you for the work that it can do and we understand it rightly like I hope we will in greater depth this morning. So lead us, God, and be glorified and honored. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, um, I know that in my life, and I'm certain in yours, that, that some of our biggest mistakes we make is because we're rushing too fast. How many, how many there with me this morning? If your hand's down, you're lying. <laughs> we, we, we rush too fast, like too quickly, too rashly. The text sent before you think, the hasty, angry social media post that you think is somehow going to influence the world. The harsh comment in a fight with your spouse that you can't rewind back and stop your mouth from saying it. An impatient action that feels so right in the moment, but then leads to devastating consequences. Impatience is a sin. It's the opposite of what God calls us to in the very first identifying reality of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And it can be also a very distinct problem in our relationship with God. Impatience or rushing in your relationship with God, it restricts or limits your intimacy with God and the blessings that come from that intimacy. Think about it with me for a second. If you rush through worship, either together or individually, you, you miss a degree of affection for God that can be stirred up in the gathering of God's people. A revelation that God wants to bring to your life in the words that sometimes we're singing will not come to you if you're just rushing. If you rush through the word, you're, you're never going to experience the depth of understanding and those moments when in the meditation of God's word, some spirit-led truth drops on your heart in a transformative way. If you rush through prayer, you're stifling your intimacy with God. That's the purpose of us doing this every year. Is not just the specifics of repentance, but to remind us that rushing in relationship with God never produces fruit. So this six weeks leading to Easter, we want to purposely slow down to walk slowly through something that I think too often we rush through, and that subject is repentance. So I'm going to do everything to teach and encourage us this morning, but what we're going to call you to do at the end with the tool that we're going to put in your hands is um, to, to have an opportunity that, that, that week after week leading up to Good Friday and Easter that you would create space to really purposely process through repentance. So that's a topic in front of us, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 9 through 11. Let's get God's word in front of us that's going to lead us. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, this is his second letter. There were multiple communications between Paul and, and, and the church in Corinth. And so look with me in verse 9. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved. He's not happy they're grieved. He's not like, ha ha, I made you sad. But look what he says, but because you were grieved into repenting. So there's an end that grief can bring that Paul's actually encouraged by. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Then he, then he sums it up right here and he gives us this picture of repentance. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. I want that. Um, then he gives us the comparison. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Okay, 
Thanks for being clear, Paul. Verse 11, for see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. Paul's actually here referring a a church to a separate letter that that isn't in God's word. He's addressed some category of sin in God's people, and we have clues, but we're not sure exactly. But we know that the letter was strong, and it caused and stirred up a godly grief in them that he's affirming here. They're not rejoicing in their grief, but he's rejoicing in their grief that led to repentance. And in verses 10 and 11, he highlights godly grief, and then he gives almost these signs these signs of diligence in repentance. This passage shows both the importance of repentance and it gives us some clues to the characteristics of true repentance, which we want to examine in our own heart this morning. The big move from this passage is this. Walk slowly on the path of repentance to experience deliverance. So, what he's highlighting here is that if we want to get to this place where I'm experiencing deliverance from sin, the joy of that, the, the, the goodness of God to you in that, the blessing in that, then what we have to do is walk slowly on the path of repentance. So before I even uh, jump into some of the implications of the passage, let me just take this subject of repentance for a moment, and let's just make sure we're all on the same page, because this subject, like so many others, in our life and in the church, and certainly in our world, gets all sort of messed up. Okay, so here we go. First, we've got to define repentance clearly. Here it is. Biblical repentance is a decisive move to have remorse over past inclinations and behavior. Those are like, I don't want to be doing that anymore. Abandon sinful ways and live obediently to Christ in his ways. It's a decisive move to have remorse over past inclinations of behavior, abandon sinful ways, and live obediently to Christ in his ways. All of this, a part of our faith and our, the grace of God to us and discipleship. This is what is playing out all the time. Remorse, abandon, obedience. Now these aren't always, um, I want to be clear, these aren't like things you work through chronologically. It's not like, every time in repentance it's not like remorse. And then after remorse, abandon. And then after abandon, obedience. I know people who uh, walk and try to obey rightly, and then, but they're still like kind of living the sin and trying to obey, and it can play out a variety of different ways. But all three are critical for true, sustained, sustained biblical repentance. Next, this, um, let's, let's just get some categories of repentance. I want to clarify some things on the front end of this message. First, repentance leads us to see the complexity of sin. When we really walk through careful repentance, it helps us understand the complexity of sin. Like some of you who know God's word um, know that at some places when the Bible's talking about sin, it talks about how you're tempted, lured, and enticed. Because that's what sin does. It sort of weaves itself around us and woos us to itself. In Hebrews 12, it talks about the sin that clings so closely, right? 
And so we feel this reality of the way that sin sort of works its way around our heart. There's places in your life and in mine where sin and the reality of maybe our bent towards certain sins or because of the past or some situation that we've walked through, either temptation or circumstance circumstance that's led to sin. Man, we get the fact that sin sort of weaves itself around so many dimensions of our life. That's why... We don't just repent once. Repentance is a pattern for your life as a disciple. Repentance is a pattern for your life. It's got to be more than just putting off and putting on. It's addressing the root issues in your heart that lead to sin. That can cause patterns of weakness. And I know in my life, even blind spots that are recurring. And so if we really want to understand repentance, we're going to see the complexity of sin. And we're going to examine our hearts carefully. We're going to look at it honestly. We're going to begin to notice the sinful tendencies of our flesh. We're going to to watch and see sort of environmental temptations or influences that we just need to avoid. We're going to acknowledge some of the baggage that we carry around because of past hurt and pain that causes us almost like triggers that can uh, lead us to temptation. It's not simple. We, we need to have a graciousness towards one another and we need, to have, we need to see God's grace towards us in this church. Walk slowly on the path of repentance to bring the gospel carefully and deeply to bear on the complexity of sin in your life. That's one aspect of repentance I want to make sure we see. The next one is this. Repentance keeps the mission expanding. I mean, church, look at the mission of our church. We just talked about it freshly. Um, the, The mission of our church is that we exist to glorify God by loving God, loving others, and making disciples of all nations. Well, repentance is the functional reality that needs to be a pattern in our life for us to love God more deeply, for us certainly to love others more authentically and righteously. And if we're going to make disciples, like we're going to make disciples that are walking in repentance. So we're going to multiply what we are, and what we are is going to teach and influence people. And so It's critical that we get that. Repentance keeps the mission expanding. This also. Repentance is by God's grace. Notice the word produce here. We're going to get into that in a second. I I want you to be reminded that, that you can't gut out repentance. It is a work of God's spirit. Even the even the word that we have in front of us is given to us by the Spirit of God. Our information, even getting our bearing in what to abandon and what to pursue after is a grace that God's given us in his word. Repentance is by God's grace. Finally, this is important. Repentance can be individual and collective. I want to sit in this for a little bit because this is one of the reasons why repentance needs to be a sustained, consistent move in our lives. Because one, repentance is individual. That means your life, your heart, your transformation. And I think we get repentance on the individual level. But do we get it collectively? In the history of redemption, the uh, people of Israel for sure got this. 
And she would see these moments when, right, when you can maybe think back to Old Testament times when a leader would get up and be like, I'm calling us to repent. Collectively as a nation or as a group of people. So when I talk about collective repentance, here's what I want you to think about. Any group in your life that's wanting to walk towards God in faithfulness and obedience. So um, uh, your marriage is a collective place. Your family, your friend group, the, the ministry that you're a part of in our church, children's ministry, women's ministry, and men's ministry, so many others, our community group ministry, an entire church collectively can examine a pattern of something we're doing and repent of that. An organization. For example, right now, I just want you guys to know, like our elders are carefully examining this is, just the, this is just the place we're at right now. We've So many different things have played out over the past few years where we've come to moments of processing and considering and repenting and changing. But right now we're examining the culture of our staff and church. We've been compelled by uh, a number of things uh, that have been playing out in and around our church to evaluate, man, we want a culture of goodness in our church. And, and we haven't arrived, just like no group has arrived, and we want to be on the front end of leading this. We processed collectively as a staff team this week about repentance. We, as a church, want, to, uh, want a culture of goodness in our lives and in our relationships. We're going to repent of places where we see unhealthy patterns in the past and repent of anything. We can for our church to be more faithful to God and his word, amen? And I believe that what God's doing in us in discipleship is leading us collectively and individually to say, God, if there is any unhealthy pattern, bring it to the surface with clarity. And we want to repent of that so that we might be more faithful to you and to your word. And so during this, series of, this season of repentance that we're going to walk through leading up to Good Friday and Easter, it could be individual but also corporate. And so on behalf of the elders, we welcome your feedback as we uh, feel the weight of leading our church. If there's anything, any place that we can learn or grow or correct misperceptions or misunderstandings or repent of sin, we are not going to be slow to that. Because this season of repentance is not just for individuals, but it's for collective groups. And for all collective groups, I would encourage you to never believe that you've arrived. But in humility, continue to ask God, God, would you lead and convict? Would you help us to walk slowly down the path of repentance? Because repentance is critical. It's got to be the mark of a disciple. It's got to be one of the regular rhythms of, of, of action in our lives. Because we want God to be glorified and we want sin to be put down. Amen? So then this. How do you know you're on the path of repentance? How do you know you're on the path of repentance? Now back to the passage. We've got this, this big picture of repentance in front of us. How do you know you're on the path of repentance? Two actions from this passage. First one. Man, we have to move from worldly grief to godly grief. Do you see it in the passage? Um, <clears throat> every reality of sin 
create some level of grief because God gave us a conscience. Now, now, when you understand that, you can see how God is putting in front of us that there's a correct way and an incorrect way to grieve. So now we're going to bring our lives right before that and consider in our own lives where there's worldly grief and where there's godly grief. So, so if you just look simply in the passage, look, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Okay, at this point, when you see what comes next, whereas worldly grief produces death, you gotta be like, um, I probably should get this figured out. Like, if, if you read the comparison of salvation without regret versus death, um, there should be an urgency within you. Now, I want to make note really quick that salvation, that word salvation is not talking about is not referring to that initial time in your life, Lord willing, maybe some of you haven't made this decision, and if you haven't, you can today, that initial moment when you go, I am of the world, I do not know God, God's revealed himself to me in Jesus Christ, and now I repent and believe in Christ. And now I've become a follower of Christ, I become a Christian, the Spirit has come into my life, I'm right before God now and for eternity. That's a moment in time. But salvation without regret is not talking about just that first time move to faith in Christ. It's talking about a living out of my salvation. That's why it says without regret. That because I'm walking in repentance now, I'm, I, I'm walking in salvation and I'm not regretting that move because I'm experiencing deliverance. So with that, now we gotta understand this. What are the distinctives between godly grief and worldly grief? Let me lay them out for you. First, godly grief sees the way sin impacts my relationship with God. I was so um, uh, thankful for this quote from Kevin DeYoung that I just wanted to put it up in its entirety because this gets right at this subject. Godly grief sees the way sin impacts my relationship with God. Follow along with me, it's on the screens. Godly grief sees the vertical dimension of our sin. I have a growing concern that some Christians are describing sin in categories that mask its true nature. True. Sin is not simply a sad thing because it can wreck our lives. It is not just the ruining of shalom, which is peace. Sin does more than make God sad that his world is not the way it's supposed to be. Sin makes God angry. It is offensive to God. His wrath is aroused not simply, watch this, I love this, not simply because we're missing out on his best, but because we have violated his law, rejected his lordship, and made ourselves gods in his place. And if your sin, to some degree, is not being felt like he defines, there is something off in either your understanding of God and the gospel, or in your experience, there is a place where you have gotten way too comfortable with your sin. Godly grief sees the way sin impacts my relationship with God and wants it out of my life totally. In addition, when you experience that vertical component of, 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 of what God wants and the condition of your relationship because of that sin, then what happens is this, godly grief submits to God. 
Godly grief leads to a Psalm 51 response. If you remember in Psalm 51, David is repenting of the sin with Bathsheba and his adultery and murder and so many other things. And look at his response here. In Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. He acknowledges even the goodness of God in bringing his sin before God. But then he says, According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Blot them out. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, which is another word for sin, and cleanse me from my sin. Okay, okay, listen, this is really important. Godly grief, godly grief doesn't wallow in guilt and shame. You want to know why? Because godly grief is not like worldly grief. Worldly grief is like, I got caught, dang it. It's like the kid who got their hand caught in the cookie jar. It's the it's, it's this reality that when someone's just, I'm feeling so much guilt and shame, it's because they got exposed, not because they want to change. And you see this in counsel all the time. Someone's weeping over their sin. But until godly grief has come, there's no real seriousness and humility before God that can lead to change. And so they wallow in guilt and shame as if their only identifying factor that leads them into community is about your compassion for what they're going through as opposed to a calling for you to walk alongside them that they might get to Jesus and the purity and the victory that they can find in righteousness. when, when When you have worldly grief, you can settle into indifference. I'm sad again. I'm here again. Struggling with the same sin. I'm just start, I'm just getting to the point where I don't even really care. Worldly grief settles into indifference. Worldly grief can sometimes even move to defensiveness. About sin. Worldly grief also, watch this, because this is without question worldly grief. It's all over our world right now. Worldly grief attempts to redefine sin as good to avoid the grief. That's what they're doing. They're redefining it, or they're medicating away, or isolating themselves away from the grief. Guys, grief is pain. Grief is pain. It doesn't feel good. But what I would say to you this morning from this passage is that do you want to have a grief, a pain that leads to salvation without regret, or one that leads to death? Godly grief submits to God's will and ways. Godly grief cries out for God to to, to give me a new heart and a new spirit towards my life and specifically towards my sin. Look at Ezekiel 18. This is what God's declaring over his people who continually run from him. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Because God's offered him, offered his people a new heart and a new spirit. Will you die? Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Turn and live. Godly grief leads us to the life that God wants his people to experience. 
That's why I can't hold back on what God has defined as sin. Because what I'm doing is I'm cheating you from God's best. I don't love it. I don't love the grief that it brings, but if it brings grief to repentance, I am thrilled because the heart of God is thrilled. Choose godly grief. If, if you know somebody right now who is, um, who is distant from God in his church, who is hard-hearted towards God or seems to be stuck in a pattern of sin, I promise you, that in every situation you'll find a pattern at some level of worldly grief. Either worldly grief or the attempt to redefine worldly grief or to medicate or insulate away from feeling grief. Always, always, always. Because until there is godly grief, there will be no true repentance. And if there's no true repentance, there'll be no true, authentic, biblical transformation. So let's get personal and bring our lives to this. If there's places where our heart is distant from God in his church, if there's places in our heart where we are hard-hearted to God, towards God, or stuck in a pattern of sin, the answer is not to try harder. Right actions alone will not bring transformation. Church, what I believe in my own experience and in so many others, what you need to be asking God for is godly grief. Pray for God to bring a, a scripture-saturated, Christ-centered, spirit-led revelation of your sin that breaks your heart and crushes your soul to a humble place where you are left completely desperate and needy for God's grace and power to rescue, redeem, reconcile, and lead you forward in obedience by the power of God's grace for the praise of his name. Pray for that. Ask that God would give it to you. Pray for God to bring a scripture-saturated, Christ-centered, spirit-led revelation of your sin that breaks your heart and crushes your soul to a humble place where you are left desperate and needy for God's grace and power to rescue, redeem, reconcile, and lead you forward in obedience by the power of God's grace for the praise of his name. Church, we have to stop being a people like the world that the second we hit pain, we're like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. God is saying here, godly grief leads to salvation without regret. Move from worldly grief to godly grief. And then finally this. If we don't walk slowly on the path of repentance to experience deliverance, we need to follow the signs that lead to diligence. I love how the passage flows. I love Paul's logic. It's helpful to me. You get me in the Psalms, I'm like, so much emotion. And Paul just is playing out this argument and he's clear in it. After comparing worldly grief to godly grief, he now highlights the earnestness. Do you see that word there? The earnestness. That's where I got the word diligence for this point. This, this diligence is needed in repentance because it's not a one-time move. 
Like I said, there's an initial repentance and belief in Christ that comes when you receive the gift of salvation. And if you haven't received that in your life, I want you to know that the grace of God is extended to you this morning. That anybody here, maybe you're newer to our church and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you could do that right now and begin this walk that can lead to deliverance in this life and in the next, fully and completely. But this initial gift leads to a lifestyle of repentance. And so I just want to observe quickly the signs of diligence and repentance that are right here in this passage. It's a list right here of words that Paul is, is sort of laying out for the people. Can we just look at this and can we just kind of bring um, our own life before this passage? Let, let God's word read your life as opposed to reading your life into God's word. Let, let God's word be the one that has authority in this moment. And let's just look at these signs of diligence. And ask yourself in your repentance if these things are playing out. Some of you might see one this morning and you're like, I don't know if I've, if I've had this level of repentance and God's calling you to that. And some of you are like, man, I want to stir that one up in regards to a, a sin in my life and I'm going to ask God to do that. First, eagerness to clear yourself. Eagerness. See, this is, this is, that, this is what, what, what happens when, when, you, when, you're, when, you're a, when you understand the gospel as a disciple and you feel the guilt and shame of sin, there's an eagerness to clear yourselves. But don't let the eagerness to clear yourself be one where you fall back on the worldly aspects of like, uh, of like excusing things or blaming someone else. See, the person who's following Jesus and is following the signs of diligence and repentance are going, you know what, I just got convicted about that sin. I feel guilt and shame. You know where I'm going? I'm going to the cross because Jesus forgave me. And if I want to clear myself, I can't because I'm guilty. But I know one who was perfect. And he's the one that died on the cross for my sins. And his sufficient and full and complete payment was paid. I've been forgiven. And that is my defense. And so we take our sin to the cross. So that's eagerness to clear yourselves. Then indignation. Indignation is another word for anger. Um... This is what I talked about in Godly Grief, that we see God's anger towards your sin. But watch this, watch this. Because remember, we're in relationship with God. In, in Christ, God's not opposed to us. God is wanting to engage us in more intimate relationship. So now watch this. In indignation in regards to your sin, it's no longer like, I'm so overwhelmed by God's anger over my sin. Watch the move is relational. Now I'm like, God, I want to see my sin like you see it, and I'm walking alongside you in indignation towards my sin. And now I'm, I'm walking alongside God, and I'm going, God, give me, I'm joining you in righteous anger towards the sin in my life. What indignation, what fear, what fear Church, when you walk in repentance, you start to observe how many of you maybe in a moment of being caught in your own sin have seen uh, the reality of, of sometimes the, 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 the death that that sin can bring. And it causes fear in you. Like a fear of God. A, a fear of like, God, I want to humble myself because I don't want my sin to lead to that point. Maybe it's some taste of consequences. Maybe it's our eyes open to how our sin could lead to death. I believe sometimes God in his supernatural work can bring an awareness that leads to a fear and it creates a healthy fear. 
I got some healthy fear. I got some boundaries in my life because of, of a healthy fear over what sin could do. And I'm not moving away from those boundaries because I'm still fallen and this world's still messed up. Fear, longing. Longing is, a, is, is when you begin to walk with God in repentance, you begin to taste the blessings of obedience and you begin to start seeing in your life a, a vision for holiness and purity and victory. And when you walk with Christ, you start to see the way that God could cultivate a purity in your life in those things. And man, it gives you this deep desire to be like Christ in, in, in all areas of your life. That longing, that zeal, that zeal is a joyful, specific, uh, spirit-empowered, sustained readiness to walk in obedience. Notice that obedience comes towards the end here. What zeal, what zeal, church, that we might have towards obedience because of all these things that the Spirit of God is doing in repentance. And then punishment. What punishment? I, I, really, I really believe that this one's purposefully at the end. Let me explain why. Because what punishment is referring to, what judgment does my sin deserve? Right? Like, like, when we rightly understand our sin before a holy God, we're like, you know what my sin deserves? It deserves justice. And then what comes right after that is, um, man, if I don't have someone standing for me, my sin deserves condemnation. I have no right to have relationship with the holy God. And so, as all of these work together, you get to the end, and what punishment and remember, this is, this is one part of, 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 of 2 Corinthians, and if you know the whole of First and 2 Corinthians, you know that without question, what Paul has done again and again is pointed to the fact that Christ has taken all of your punishment in his death on the cross. And so you can say, what punishment? Exclamation point. Because yes, my sin deserves punishment, but he has taken my punishment. And in that, at every point, you have proven yourselves innocent in the matter. Signs of repentance, that you're walking slowly in the path of repentance. Church, stop rushing through repentance. Stop rushing. Yesterday for dinner, um, my family and I sat down and we had, um, we had a, a roast. You know what I'm talking about? The slow-cooked roast. I feel like it should be a requirement that like monthly you have a roast like coming back from church on Sunday because you guys all know what that smells like. That, that, that meat like sits. You're all going to sorry, mouth's going to start watering. It soaks in the moisture and tenderizes the meat surrounded by the carrots and the onions. It's, it's little friends and the potatoes just, just swimming around in all that goodness. You walk into the house, the smells are amazing. The carrots and potatoes are just ready for you to eat. They're soft and they've soaked up all the flavors. The meat's tender and moist. It pulls apart easily because of the slow cooking process. It's so deli it's delicious. I could still taste it. I'm going to kind of... But if my wife had taken the meat and the potatoes and the onions and the carrots and 
chucked it in a bowl and thrown it in the microwave for 10 minutes, my experience would not have been the same. I promise you that. And I would have had to graciously cover that mistake. I would not have spoken about that in front of church. Stop trying to microwave repentance. You won't find deliverance if you're rushing. You, you, you won't experience your life deeply soaking in the work of the gospel if you rush. We, we get to this place where we're like, why can I not find victory in this sin? And, and the reason why is because we're not soaking in the gospel. Maybe because of guilt or shame or, or patterns of, of, of walking with Jesus that we've learned over years that are not correct and not helpful. And we get ourselves to this place where we just try to microwave repentance because we just want to get through it. And we don't just cheat ourselves, but we cheat God's work in our life. Some of you are discouraged because you've just been putting it in the microwave and being like, I just want to get this done as fast as possible. Some of you have been rushing repentance in other people in relationship with them. Believing that, like, now I've experienced hurt or pain and, and now I just want this to be done. And so we just try to get to obedience as fast as we can and we don't get at the root of sin and let God do his perfect, awesome, deep work in our soul. Where we take our sin that's surrounding the goodness of the gospel, the goodness of his creation, the goodness of the way he's designed you to glorify him, and all of the fat that we want to get off of that, all of the things we... We, we don't want in our lives and we, we try to microwave repentance as opposed to placing our heart and life into the waters of the gospel and to make sure that in that uh, gospel and around in that, um, in that pot, so to speak, that we make sure that godly grief is there and uh, eagerness and indignation and fear and longing and zeal and punishment and, and we just slow cook in the juices of the gospel. We let it begin to tenderize our heart and life. We walk alongside people and saying, hey, we're going to walk in repentance in this. In my life and yours, in the midst of our church, we're going to walk in repentance. And the thing that we need to know about one another to walk in unity is knowing that we're walking in repentance. And there's some places in your life and in my life that are going to change is going to happen quickly. And there's some, there's some places where sin is even woven around our strengths. I know some of you, and you know me. Some of you know me well enough to know that sometimes it's hard to even see what's what. But when you slow cook your life in the midst of the gospel, God can begin to tenderize your heart, and your ability to identify what's right and wrong is more clear. And God can change you. And so over the next six weeks, what we we're challenging our church to do is to do that. We've created a repentance guide to help you work through this because we're not messing around with sin. God wants us to experience repentance. So if you've got an area where you, um, an abiding sin struggle in your life, over the next six weeks, we want you to bring that sin to this, this, this repentance guide and uh, carefully soak in the opportunity and the promises of the gospel. You can access the repentance guide. It'll be available either at mychristchurch.org slash repentance. We have some copies if people need hard copies out at the welcome counter as you leave today. And we're going to post one new page every week as we work through these signs of diligence 
leading us right up to Good Friday and Easter. It's not a coincidence that it ends in what punishment, and at the end of that last week, we'll be celebrating Good Friday together, considering a Christ's death on the cross. Walk slowly on the path of repentance to experience deliverance. So how can we respond right now? We, we have to. And so first, I, I want to take a bit of extra time before we come to the communion table. And I want to start with confession. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we're going to start with confession. And we're going to give you some space right now to ask God to reveal sin in your life, to ask God to give godly grief in response to sin, to ask God for forgiveness, and to ask God to give you diligence in repentance. And so what we're going to do as we just sort of play under this moment is we just want to give you some time to do this. And then after that, the, there's going to be a song sung and someone's going to invite you to come to the table, the communion table. And this is for the followers of Jesus Christ. And, um, and there's two cups stacked on top of one another. One is the bread. It represents the body of Christ broken for you. The other one on top of that is filled with the juice, which is the symbol of Christ's blood poured out for you. We can walk in repentance with joy and with hope because of what Christ has done. And we remember that in communion. But before we come to this table, wait, church, for the invitation. But right now, what we as God's people need to do is remember the invitation to confess. And so I want you, just wherever you're at right now, just to get low, to bow your heads, to close your eyes. And I want you just to begin to pray prayers of confession. And then in a few moments, we'll invite you up to start taking communion. But start with confession now. Do the work to have something that you've laid before the throne of God that then will remember communion and Christ's sacrifice over that. Start with confession now, church. Confess your sin to God. Don't hesitate. Start walking towards the deliverance that God offers. Just begin to pray and confess right now before the Lord.